And we are live. live. We are live. Live. Okay. Um. Genesis 31. We are here. We made it. We made it to Genesis 31. I love it. 1 through 29. And then 30, and then 31. Whoa, this boy can count. <laughs> I mean, we are, we did it. No, um, we have a very awesome chapter in store for us. I really enjoyed reading this and let's all read it together. So Justin, why don't you get us kicked off? Let's do it. Genesis 31. Verse one, now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's and from what belonged to our father, he has made all this wealth. And Jacob saw the attitude of Laban and behold, it was not friendly toward him as it had been before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. So Jacob sent word and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field and said to them, I see your father's attitude that it is not friendly toward me as it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. However, God did not allow him to do me harm. If he said this, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flock delivered speckled. And if he said this, the striped shall be your wages. Then all the flock delivered striped. So God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. And it came about at the time when the flock was breeding that I raised my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the male goats that were mating were striped, speckled, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob. And I said, here I am. He said, now raise your eyes and see that all the male goats that I am mating are striped, speckled, and mottled. For I have seen everything that Laban has, has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a memorial stone, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. Rachel and Leah said to him, Do we still have any share or inheritance in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and has also entirely consumed our purchase price. Surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, do whatever God has told you. Yes. Henry, what are your thoughts on the first seven, 16 verses? You know, there's a lot going on here, as I like to say. Um, I would like to first kind of go back to the previous chapter for a second. Jacob has just finished working 14 years to pay the dowry for his wives, Leah and Rachel. And he paid this dowry to Laban. And at this point, Laban and Jacob come to an agreement. Laban wants Jacob to continue working with him because Laban has prospered greatly with Jacob leading and growing his flock. And so they come to some type of agreement where Jacob says, you know, if if I can keep all the spotted animals and you're going to keep all the 
pure not spotted animals and ultimately Laban agrees to this and Laban's a businessman so Laban thinks this is a win for him he likes this idea Laban has a reputation at this point for doing things that are to his benefit during his negotiations and so but Jacob you know he has some deception in play he has a plan in play plan in place ultimately to make this agreement benefit him and he must know that if this benefits him that it's really at the detriment of Laban and so and, and after this negotiation though he stays six more years he does so he he's staying I mean he's he's working so at this point in the text, he's been here 20 years. He's been here 20 years. And, you know, we're about to basically this chapter introduces what is what happens whenever you treat people within your family and your boss in this type of way? How do people feel whenever you do that? So that's what this chapter starts off right out the gate. We see exactly how they feel. Starting in verse one. Now, Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons saying this is Laban's son speaking Jacob has taken away all that that was our father's and from what belonged to our father he has made all this wealth they don't feel like this was a win-win agreement they feel like this was a win-lose agreement and then in the next verse Laban it's clear that his attitude has changed and there was no longer a friendly demeanor between the two so that's what we get hit right out the gate here. And then we actually learn later in the chapter that Jacob believes and feels that Laban has ultimately changed his wages 10 times. We see that in verse 7. Now, it seems that God affirms this later on in the chapter, so it seems to be accurate. But... And we don't know exactly what that means exactly in terms of changing his wages. I mean, they kind of allude, it's kind of alluded to a little bit here, and, but um, nonetheless, this is not a friendly uh, business deal that's going on here. These are two people that are, that seem to be in competition in growing this flock of animals when in fact they could have been more like cordial business partners. They seem to be trying to kind of one up one up each other. They say in business deals, business partners, it's just like a marriage. It's really get it easy to get into, really hard to get out of. And as we know, in the, as we know in the Bible, you sh, you know, divorce is totally not cool. Okay, we know that for certain. Okay, we know it's totally not cool. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't get a divorce. And so, um, yeah. Verse three, though, we see something right. We see something very interesting as well. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So God is commuting directly to Jacob and saying, hey, return to your land. He's giving him a command to, to, hey, you've done this. You've been here for a long time. It's time for you to ultimately to move on. And I think this ultimately goes back and references the dream that um, Jacob has 
So we ultimately know that in verse 3 here, that is in reference to, you know, the plan was always, ultimately the plan was always for Jacob to leave and go back to this land in which God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and he also extended that promise ultimately to Jacob as well. And that was, that promise was extended and brought up again in Genesis 28, verse 15, behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So this was the plan all along from the very beginning. Good call. Um, so yeah, as we see, Jacob had wanted to leave for Canaan, had wanted to return home, and now was as good a time as any because now Laban and his sons were developing like some animosity and, and violent attitudes toward him. And so I think Laban's sons seem to be jealous because uh, of his of Jacob's success, and also it's it's decreasing their inheritance. Right. And so um, the angel of God here, um, that that is God. And so God directed Jacob to go ahead and return home. And so Jacob goes and he convinces his wives, right? He meets them and tells them why they should secretly flee. And so in his discussion with them, he gives credit to God for pretty much, he's like, hey, like God gave me your father's herd. Um, and so both Rachel and Leah, you know, feel the same way that they reasoned that it was a good idea for all of them to flee. Agreed. And... There's a lot of, there's, it's not just Jacob who feels upset with Laban. It is also Laban's own daughters, Rachel and Leah. I mean, they, they're also very, very upset with Laban as well. So this is, it's pretty clear that Laban has been acting very shrewdly in all of his dealings with everyone. And nobody on this side of the family is, is particularly excited about it. I would also say that Jacob does you see an outward expression of Jacob giving credit to God multiple times in, in verse 5 and verse 7? So Jacob is ultimately giving credit to God for you know everything that uh, really has happened up until this point. And then you also see Jacob expressing that credit to his family and his wives and Kind of showing this um, clear leadership and a faithful way to God. Really, kind of that's a, our first time seeing this, you know, out of Jacob. So I think it's really powerful. Um, I think a lot of people could, you know, lead their families in a similar way, and um, yeah. So I think that's really exciting. Anytime you see, anytime you see a leader in a family you know, uh, giving credit to God and putting God at the center of the life. I think you see a lot of changes within that family, whether that be the husband or anybody for that matter. You know, one person can change, one person in the family can change the entire family um, by them ultimately putting God first. So ideally, the father takes the helm on this. However, whether you're a father, a son, whoever, you putting God first in your life, I think, can definitely have a tremendous influence on your family. And I think we see the Leah and Rachel falling right under that leadership of Jacob and agreeing with them and being 
right on board. So, yeah. Verse 17, then Jacob stood up and put his children and his wives on camels. And he drove away all his livestock and all his property, which he had acquired. The livestock he possessed, which he had acquired in Paddan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his flock, and Rachel stole the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he was fleeing. So he fled with all that he had, and he got up and crossed the Euphrates River and set out for the hill country of Gilead. So here um, we see, first off, Rachel steals her father's idol. And uh, this connects right back to exactly what you were saying before we started these verses, Henry, is there seems to be a religious background here and that her father's influence on the daughters um, shows that maybe Rachel has some attachment to this false god. Um, and so she doesn't want to part with that, but instead wants to bring that with her. And so um, we're going to talk more about that idol uh, and and all that a little bit later when the verses um, it's going to come up again. And I want to, you know, unpack it a little more, but here though, Jacob's escape would not have been a simple thing. I mean, he's sneaking away with his wives, his children, his servants, and his livestock. So this isn't like you just pack your, your wife and two kids up in a car, you know, in a suitcase, and then you gone in the middle of the night. This is, this is a hard getaway. Absolutely. And with regards to this escape, you know, this is somewhat reminiscent of something we'll learn about in the future with um, the Israelites' escape from Egypt. There seems to be some similarities here that we'll uh, continue to read about as we get further into late at the end of Genesis, beginning of Exodus. One excerpt from Dr. Constable's notes about these idols I would like to read. These gods were usually small figurines, two to three inches long, sometimes carried on the body as charms, many of which archaeologists have discovered. They may have represented departed ancestors or gods that their makers venerated. Rachel, Rachel may also have hoped that these gods would make her a fruitful mother Apparently, Laban's family worshipped false gods as well as the true God. So we definitely have some uh, idolatry going on here within this family. And so Jacob's leaving. He's chunking up the deuces and he's not telling anybody. This is not typically how you leave a family, okay? Especially... <laughs> You know, it's one thing to go like on a weekend trip or whatever, but when you're leaving forever, typically you say goodbye, you know, he's not doing that. He's not giving Laban all of her brothers and sisters and family, that type of courtesy. They just, they're chunking up the deuces. Verse 22, Justin. Verse 22. 
When Laban was informed on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him a distance of seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. However, God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream of the night and said to him, Be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban caught up to with Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen camped in the hill country of Gilead. Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with joy and with songs, with tambourine and with lyre, and did not allow me to kiss my grandchildren and my daughters? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. Now you have indeed gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Then Jacob rep replied to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. The one with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, point out what is yours among my belongings and take it for yourself. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So starting off in verse 22, we see Jacob has just left and Laban is now pursuing Jacob. Jake, Laban doesn't find out that Jacob's left. It looks like until three days in. And so... Yeah, we have a pursuit here. Um, this is definitely interesting. This doesn't sound like a friendly pursuit to me. Um, and then we have God coming in here in verse 24. However, God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream of the night and said to him, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. There's a command here that specifically says, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. Okay, that's interesting. What did we just read in the following verses, Justin? That Laban caught up to him and talked to him? That's right. So Laban specifically disobeys this command by God. Totally not cool. And of course, Laban's angry. He's angry for two reasons. One, Jacob didn't say goodbye as he was leaving. Now, you, you might understand that, right? That makes a little bit of sense. You know, your daughters are leaving. All your grandchildren are leaving. Presumably, you could never see these people ever again, right? This isn't a weekend trip. This is many, many, many days journey. And you don't say goodbye. Not only that. You're leaving with, I mean, at, at this point, it, to me, it sounds like this flock has gotten large. And it sounds to me like the majority of this flock was Jacob's at this point. And so the flock got a lot tinier whenever he left, you know. And so um, <clears throat> that's the first reason why he's angry. I don't think Jacob had to do it this way. Okay, Jacob had the promise from God that he was going to do this, bring Jacob back to this land. 
and give his descendants the, the east, north, south, and west parts of this land. Okay, Give them this area. Why did he do this? Why did he leave in this abrupt way? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that God told him to leave super abruptly, don't tell anybody, all these other things. The Bible doesn't say doesn't say that. I don't I, I don't think, I mean, this is conjecture, I guess, but I don't think Jacob necessarily had to do it this way. I think he could have gone to Laban and said and said goodbye. It might have been more challenging or whatever, but ultimately God's promise is going to take place regardless. So why not leave amicably? The promise, as I mentioned in Genesis 28, 15. And then the second reason why Laban's mad is because he believes Jacob stole these idols. And yeah, I think there's a right way to do something and a wrong way to do, think, do something. If you have God's promise one way or another, I think Jacob could have done this a little bit differently is, is, is the way I see it. Justin. Yeah, so we see here God's sovereign protection and that God did visit Laban in a dream, warning him. And uh, as to that warning, um, I was unsure about what this means. Um, so do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. One of the things I read suggests that it could mean that Laban was not allowed to try and bring Jacob back so that he could. It, it meant that God was allowing Laban to go ahead and talk to Jacob but that he couldn't do anything to try to persuade him or interfere with him returning to his homeland is one of the things that I read. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two slave women, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddlebag and she sat on them. So Laban searched through all the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, may my Lord not be angry that I cannot stand in your presence because the way of the woman is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household idols. So here though, um, this is where more talk of the, the idol comes out. And so Laban could have been upset that just having property stolen um, but like Henry talked about before, the there's other significance to this. And so the idol might have served the purpose um, for the owner, Laban, that for maybe receiving protection, possibly prosperity, maybe even fertility. Um, in the ancient world, a lot of people felt like the, their idols uh, provided those things for them. So this idol was obviously very important to him because he did a thorough search uh, of Jacob's stuff. And so... Um, obviously at this point where Jacob's like, hey, whoever has the idol, uh, may that person be killed. He, he doesn't know, right? He, he doesn't know that uh, Rachel's the one who stole it. And so he's like unknowingly giving her the death penalty if she gets caught. Right. Absolutely. So here um, it appears that her father, Laban, didn't even suspect that, that Rachel was the thief. But he suspected Jacob. Um, so one of the things here I see is that uh, Rachel joins in on the deception uh, behavior, and she actually ends up deceiving the ultimate deceiver, her father. Yeah, he definitely doesn't. He doesn't seem to suspect her. Yeah, that's what uh, maybe he, he thought that she loved her or she loved him, right? Or that she would never do this type of deal. 
maybe she he knew of no great offense that he did to her, and he was completely unaware of that, that there was strife between them. And ultimately, yeah. I guess he probably loved her, and, you know, who knows what, I mean, parents can kind of have a sixth sense when, when something's going on. Maybe he just straight up gave her a pass. He maybe he smelled. Maybe he thought something was like up. You know what I mean? It's like, huh, this seems a bit unusual. You know, who knows? Um, that's what I th- personally. I think parents are smarter than uh, than we, we we like to give them credit for. I mean, I can definitely tell you there's been multiple times where I thought I was getting away with something, and I think my parents let me get away with it, but they knew something wasn't right. And Laban's a shrewd businessman, Justin. Oh, he's got street smarts. Yeah, he's got street yeah. smarts. Yeah. Okay, verse 36. Then Jacob became angry and argued with Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? Though you have searched through all my property, what have you found of all your household property? Set it here in front of my relatives and your relatives so that they may decide between the two of us. For these 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks. I did not even bring to you that which was torn by wild animals. I took the loss myself. You demanded it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. This is how I was. By day, the heat consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. For these 20 years, I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands, so he rendered judgment last night. So here we go. In this section, um, when I was reading this, it reminds me of a a movie scene. Um, So Laban is all catching up, and he's accusing Jacob. It's one of those things where, like, I'm out of order, you're out of order. And it's one of those things where, the bonds like you did all this stuff. And then Jacob's like, no, no, you did all everything wrong, you know? And so um, it's kind of switching here. So now Jacob is accusing Laban of all his wrongdoing. Right. So I'm sure that he's wanted to, this is one of those, this, this is 20 years in the making baby. Right. right? There's a lot of pent up anger. Yeah. Finally you get to, yeah, just, just, just rip up everything your, your father-in-law has done. Right. So, now, um, Jacob recounted the 20 years of hardships with financial struggles caused by Laban. Um, Jacob explained how, how if God had not supernaturally intervened, uh, Jacob would have been, been just left penniless, right? By, by the selfish and deceptive actions of Laban. Totally. And, you know, I think this is this type of behavior um should this i just i look at jacob here and listen while his, 
Well, if anyone deserves to be angry, Jacob definitely deserves to kind of let this go. But I think we as Christians should be expecting people to wrong us, whether they be Christians or non-Christians for that matter. We, we live in a fallen, broken world. And I think we should be expecting this to happen from time to time. And responding in anger is not always the best approach. I'm not trying to come down on Jacob here for being angry, but he definitely, um, I just, I just see us when people do us wrong in our lives, which is going to happen. I don't think anger is the correct response that we should ultimately have. I think we should respond in, a, in another way. Um, I'm sure there's some verses that will ultimately back this up. And Justin, I thought that you would be the perfect person to tell us which verses that, that, <laughs> that is. When we're talking about this, I'm reminded of Sermon of the Mount. Um, so I believe that's Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Um, so that, that, that's what I think of most in, in reference to, to what you're talking about. About lo- love those who hate you. Uh, bless those who persecute you. Like th- this whole idea, I feel like of, of what you're saying fits with Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Matthew chapter five, verse 39. But I say to you, do not show opposition against an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other toward him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. It's just this whole idea that, you know, be, I think it's, you know, we should be prepared for this, this type of thing to happen to us ultimately for us to get taken advantage of in one way or another and for us to act gracefully in accordance with accordance and in accordance with how God would want us to react. Also, verse 39 here, just one interesting thing to point out. I did not even bring to you that which was torn by wild animals. I took the loss myself. You demanded it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Another reference to Dr. Constable. Under traditional ancient Near Eastern law, a shepherd was not held responsible for losses to his master's flocks due to attacking wild beasts, and in some cases, thieves. Yet Jacob had borne these losses. Laban had cheated Jacob. So it seemed that, according to the culture of the time, Laban was demanding of Jacob that which was not customary. Yep, Laban was sketch. Sketch. Shrewd businessman. Shrewd businessman. Okay, verse 43. Then Laban replied to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my grandchildren, the flocks are my flocks, and everything that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these daughters of mine or to their children to whom they have given birth? So now come, let's make a covenant, you and I, and it shall be a witness between you and me. Then Jacob took a stone and set it up as a memorial stone. Jacob said to his relatives, gather some, gather stones. So they took stones and made a heap and they ate there by the heap. Now Laban called it Jagar 
Sahudath, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, it was named Galid and Mizpah. For he said, may the Lord keep watch between you and me. And when we are absent one from the other, if you mistreat my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, behold, this heap and behold the memorial stone, which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the memorial stone is a witness that I will not pass by this heap to you for harm. And you will not pass by this heap and this memorial stone to me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his relatives to the meal. And they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. Then early in the morning, Laban got up and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. So at this point, I think Laban has ultimately heard Jacob. Laban is very aware that God is with Jacob. And at this point, Laban's just trying to, I think, extract as much as he can before he bounces out. You know, this is his last shrewd business deal. And it's not like a terribly bad deal, but it just seems like Laban just asking, 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 keeps on asking, keeps on wanting. And so this deal ultimately um, includes two things. One, in verse 50, if you mistreat my daughters or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. So that's the first um, requirement of the covenant, covenant, essentially, hey, don't mistreat my daughters and don't marry anyone else. That's fine enough. And then the second one is in verse... 52, this heap is a witness and the memorial stone is a witness that I will not pass by this heap to you for harm and you will not pass by this heap and this memorial stone to me for harm. And so here, LeBond's basically saying, hey, you know, here's the line. We're drawing a line right here. I'm not going to cross over here and hurt you. You're not going to cross over here and hurt me. And... At this point, I think Jacob is super successful. I think I think Laban has more to benefit in this. I don't think Jacob is so much worried, right? Jacob, Jacob has a promise from God. Laban doesn't have a promise of anything, you know. So, um, and then finally, in verse fifty-three, something that's that seems interesting to me as well. This is Laban speaking: the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father, Isaac. Ultimately, Laban seems to have two deities in mind when he said the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor. Whereas Jacob swore by the awesome one of Isaac, which indicates that he was worshiping the God of his fathers. Laban on the other hand swore by the pagan god of his 
Laban, on the other hand, swore by the pagan God his fathers worshipped. So here we, we, we just, we see that, you know, there's just, there's two different camps here. There's someone who is making this covenant with a combination of to the one true God of the Bible and these other gods and ultimately Jacob is staying faithful to the one true God. Yeah. So, um, as we see in this, this discourse, um, despite Laban's accusations and all that he said, uh, he left with nothing because it was obvious that Laban was the one at fault, not, not Jacob. So after piling the stones, uh, Laban gave the monument an Aramaic name, but Jacob gave it a Hebrew name. Yeah, he did. And, yeah. And, and Laban kind of used, in forming this, this agreement or covenant, Laban used verbiage, making it sound like Jacob was a bad guy and that Laban needed to be protected from him. Um, but that was not what had happened here just in their history together. And also, um, I, I wasn't sure about that verse that, that you were talking about. I thought it was interesting where Laban said the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor. Um, obviously, uh, I, that, that, that's tricky. It could be like, like, like what you were talking about, how um, Laban was referencing two different deities. Or I also read somewhere it's possible that Laban since he didn't have a, a correct, he obviously does not have a correct understanding of the one true God. And so he could have thought it was the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor because Nahor was the relative of Abraham. Um, and so I'm not sure. I, I mean, I think it could go either way uh, in that verse. I, I'm not sure. But either way, uh, Laban doesn't know what's going on and he is trying to use this opportunity, this covenant to, to benefit him because like you said, Henry, Jacob doesn't need it. He has God's protection. Totally. And finally in verse 54, I think Jacob does something pretty cool here. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain. And it seems that Jacob at this point, um, he, at this, at this point, you know, there's no contingency or anything to, you know, the one true God being his one true God, which could have been the case earlier when he initially had that dream when he was sleeping on those pile of rocks, you know, that he had this contingency. Now it seems that Jacob has put his full full weight and trust into God and that he is now being more faithful and also being more public in his faithfulness. And his declaration of his th thankfulness. So this is this has been a wild ride. Okay, this has been a very wild ride. I think the two applications that I see, I just see some really ch some challenges in a family, and it's some challenges in business partners. That's what I'm seeing here. A lot of challenges, and <laughs> I think uh, there's a lot to learn with ultimately. Um, First, for one, who we choose to be par business partners with. I think that's something to be very cautious of. Um, 
And I guess you could extend that really out to who you spend your time with in general, because they can either bring you great, bring you great consternation or they can bring you great joy. And ideally, I think we all want the, the great joy and LeBon just wasn't one of those guys. He was a joy sapper. And this was not just, this isn't my, just my opinion. Jacob believes so. And it seems that his daughters were also on board with this as well. Uh, I know I like to avoid consternation. <laughs> uh, yeah. And in reference to the application that I saw in this chapter, uh, we saw earlier in Jacob's life that he participated in deception and lying and all this, all those things. And, but in this chapter, I see kind of when he was accused of this, um, he was actually the innocent one, the good guy, and Laban was doing all those things. So the application for, for our lives, I believe, is that we, we need to decide to live righteous lives so that when someone does accuse us, that we will be found innocent or blameless. I know for me, there's been times in my life when I'll have hidden sins in just one accusation, whether the accusation was a correct or not. But that following that led to the discovery of my hidden sins and all that I had to be ashamed of. And so um, even if you're not guilty of the original sin that you being accused of, an investigation, you know, can find all that out. So but there have also been other times in my life uh, when with by the help of God, I've been able to live consistently um, you know, by avoiding sin and, and things like that. And so accusations, uh, uncovered that I was just genuinely trying to live faithful to God uh, in my life. And so as we've seen just in court cases and other similar situations that people will grab onto whatever they can to attack your character in order to, to prove the violation that they originally accused you of. So are there things in your life that could give your accusers ammunition or cause you shame? And so these are it's an important question to address to make sure that I'm living faithfully to God. And then also I avoid hurting my testimony in order to serve God, but also just, uh, you know, cause any blemish on the church as a whole. Agreed. There is nothing that I've ever done that I knew that it was wrong, that I'm glad that I did. Okay. Nothing. I regret every single one of those moments. There is, I don't care what that ultimately resulted in. I literally don't care. Regrets, regrets, regrets. Every single thing that I've ever done that was not in accordance with the Bible, totally regret, wish I hadn't have done it, and wish that I could take it back. If at all possible, if I go back, I would completely change it. I don't care where it brought me here. One of the things that we keep seeing, right, is that Jacob really comes out of the situation a winner. But did he have to do all this this way is the question that I keep coming back to. Did he have to do, all, do it all this way? I personally don't think so. I think he could have made different steps along the way, starting with his brother Esau from the very beginning all the way to the very end. He could have handled the situation differently. And who knows what the result would have been otherwise. Maybe Jacob would have been way more blessed. Maybe there would have been a lot more joy and happiness. Maybe Jacob could have had a, a better influence on Laban and that entire family. Who knows what the ultimate result could have been. So, yeah, I would just be very uh, aware of the things that you do. And know for a fact that there's not a single thing that you ever do 
that's bad that you're going to be like, you know what, I'm really glad that I did that. I think long-term, you might think that now, but I think it's years past, you're going to slowly realize like, hey, that was a bad idea. I wish I hadn't done that. Regrets. And I try to live my life accordance, in accordance with minimal regrets. So, cool. Justin, killer chapter 31. I just, I feel like we... We got the end of we got to see some resolution here. Yeah, there's been some buildup for a little yeah. while. Jacob went on this awesome journey, this epic journey, and now he's back to where God ultimately promised he would bring him. Yep. Really excited to see what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Who knows what's in store for Jacob's life <laughs> next? Who knows what's in store for our lives next? Who knows? Exciting every single every single day. Extremely exciting. Super stoked for what's going on in y'all's lives next. If y'all something super exciting in y'all's lives, throw that in the comments. I want to read all about that. Whatever's next. So, all right. Thank you so much, everybody. Hope you have a wonderful day. Look forward to seeing you in Genesis chapter 32. Peace out, everybody.